Hello, you're listening to the 805 Uncensored, a podcast hosted by two leftists recorded on occupied Chumash land. This podcast covers a variety of topics from music to politics, news, spirituality, issues both in the 805 and ones affecting the 805. There are no limits, which is why we are uncensored. So welcome, follow us on your podcast and social media platforms of choice. In this episode, we're excited to welcome Sue Hale and Manna from Watermelon Brigades. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, first Thanks of all, yeah, you. first of all, Suhail, do you want to introduce yourself and then uh, Mana did the same? Sure. Um, so my name is Suhail Oshawa. Uh, my family is originally from the Gaza Strip. I still have a lot of family there in Gaza at this time. Um, so I'm kind of intermediary for a lot of family members right now, even that are in Gaza trying to coordinate with each other sometimes because of the communication outages. So that's just where my heart is and that's where my mind is these days. <laughs> Well, thank you. We're really excited to get your perspectives. Uh, Mona? Yeah, so my name's Mona, Mona Hajazi. I am Palestinian Ohioan, raised in Virginia. I've lived in Vegas and Boston, and I currently live on Tohono O'odham land down in Tucson, Arizona. Um, uh, and I uh, run the Watermelon Brigade's podcast Instagram page. And as a long-term volunteer for the Arizona-Palestine Solidarity Alliance, I also run our social media on Instagram at az2palestine. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for all your great work. So my first question for both of you is, the Pentagon has kind of just feebly warned Israel not to launch an expansive ground invasion into Gaza out of personal lessons it learned from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yet, you know, it's obviously continuing to support Israel's genocide against the Palestinians. So I was wondering, do you think that there's any scenario that we see where the amount of pressure from U.S. citizens and the international community as a whole becomes so great that the U.S. government completely stops sending aid and weapons to Israel? I'd say for mine... I think it's honestly it has to do too. There's going to have to be some intervention by the international community at this point, because we've seen so many nations condemn them. We've seen the UN votes for the ceasefire. We've seen all these things, yet nobody's actually placed sanctions that would would put enough pressure on these places yet. Um, so I do think there's still more intervention needed from other nations at this point. I am hopeful in seeing. Um, both the you know esteemed and established international organizations like the UN at this point declaring it a genocide and also to see the legal efforts to hold accountable these actors as war criminals um you know as Palestinians were pressing charges against Biden and his administration and other people who have been complicit and we're we're putting our elected officials and others on notice that they have blood on their hands, and uh, with with no justice comes no peace. We will we will pursue them until the end of time. At this point, yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm particularly happy with the protests that we're seeing inside the U.S. The size of them and and the engagement and the energy inside the protests has been beautiful for me to see. What, what do you guys think about that? I know for I know that the family back home they're proud to see people coming out and protesting and it's and for me it's a point of pride too it it lets me know that other people see us as human beings at this point 
and just having that kind of emotional support does help. Um, but unfortunately, it still falls back on to the governments to make to make these decisions to actually do something on the ground. Because as much as we love the people and the, there's, we can have the most popular support for, for humanitarian needs and for the right things, but at the end of the day, it's still, it, it's still we have to keep putting pressure on these government officials so that they can, they need to understand that we're all human beings at the end of the day and we all want the world to keep continuing on. I mean, I agree. Like ultimately, or you know, very importantly, these government officials and international actors must act. They must find their humanity again and act within their conscience if they have one remaining. That said, I think there's a lot of ways we make we we hold them accountable and exert that pressure. And there are also ways <clears throat> that we as as individuals with volition, with free will in the society, in our respective countries, uh, can act to stop this war. We've already seen things like the bloat, the boat blockade, trying to prevent military arms shipments to Israel. Uh, we've seen attacks on Israeli cargo today from Yemen. Yeah, um, I was just going to mention that. Yeah, as a national actor, I think the boycott, the BDS movement is really on fire. We're seeing the targeted companies uh, can't give their stuff away for free. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can influence what's going on, whether it's before or during or when these international and government officials finally act. Yeah, absolutely. So, Camilla, we're talking right now about scenarios that we see from U.S. pressure, U.S. citizen pressure inside to um, demand an end to supporting Israel's uh, weapons an aid to Israel. I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. <laughs> Demanding a, a stop to um, supporting Israel's weapons uh, and ongoing genocide. So, and we're talking about if if there's going to be enough pressure inside the international community as well. Could could I make one point and I'll give Camila? I'm sorry, Camila, a, a chance to catch up. I yes. I think it's really important to realize when it comes to the issue of U.S. aid to Israel. It is, that in itself is large, but it's a bigger issue than that. Weapons have been and continue to be this, the U.S., uh, the U.S.'s number one export. Mm -hmm. We are the, the, the country that arms the rest of this world. We are heavily invested. Our economy is very dependent on ongoing wars and munitions wherever those happen to be deployed and whoever those happen to kill. And I think... As a Palestinian, it's very important to me that it's not that that we don't just focus on Palestine in this is in this instance and in this cause. It's a good example of how criminally our economy functions, um, but it's far from being the only one. Great point, Camille. Do you have something that you'd like to respond to with? Yes, I first I want to apologize for being late. I had some technical difficulties and um, I couldn't log in any sooner, but um, thank you for having me here. I wanted to add that, um, yeah, that's a really good point of why, you know, the U.S. doesn't, I don't think they're planning on stopping any wars. I mean, they are the ones that start them and they have a cause and that cause is to, you know, sell weapons, sell um you know uh, as we've seen like over and over again you know there's evidence 
um, in different parts of the world, whether it be, you know, South America or the Middle East that, you know, this weapons, the, um, the bullets and everything that they're using, they come from here and um, like in Haiti per se, um, most of the guns that are found in the so-called, you know, terrorists in, in Haiti, you know, um, come from actually Miami, you know? So yeah. I don't think there is an incentive in that sense to stop any type of um, war anywhere. Um, if anything, there is an incentive to keep more going because that'll only like pick up the sales, you know? Um, I've seen a pretty powerful picture of um, gas canisters, you know, in like different part of the world of like, um, people that were either in rallies or whatever that the police had used. And the one thing in common that had like them, the little casing, you know, that they were all made in the USA. So whether it was, you know, Iran, Chile, Peru, you know, mm -hmm. whatever country, like that was like the common theme, you know, and like there is a common aggressor there and we should be aware of that. Yeah. And I would also say that it's worth pointing out that U.S. police forces work with Israeli police forces, and we're seeing that right now with Cop City and the escalation of that. So, yeah, to be clear, I don't think that there's any scenario that the U.S. government stops supporting Israel. I think it's individual U.S. citizens that are rallying against the government and the international community and p citizens in countries around the world. I'd like, do you have anything you'd like to add, Heather? I actually just think, you just made me think about how, I think that what we're going to see, though, is that more and more people as a result of this are, I guess, awakening to the fact that the government doesn't really represent our interests. Because if you look at the polling numbers on this, we have like, an overwhelming amount of Americans on both the right and the left. So even like the majority of Republicans that are polled say they do, they want a ceasefire or they want the U.S. to pull back on their support. And and then like the the last poll I saw like in Congress, only like 8% of the House and the Senate. So I think if this continues, we're going to see more and more people waking up to the fact that our, our government doesn't actually represent what's going on. And I think that I agree with people who have said this is the turning point. Because um, it's in our face. We, you can't deny it now. Yeah, I think I think Ukraine was the start. And then this was just ripping off the entire fucking bandaid. I'd like to shift it over to Hezbollah now. So Hezbollah has stated that it will fully join the war against Israel under the condition that Hamas is on its last legs. With that being said... To what extent do we think that the Lebanese front with Israel could stoke a broader war um, in the Middle East? Uh, so, uh, from from just from experience of meeting members from the from that group and then the previous Harakat Amal group, Hezbollah has very outwardly they were used during the so they were sent in as mercenaries during the Sur the Syrian civil war. They, and they wiped out the Yarmouk uh, Palestinian refugee camps. That was something that they did without blinking an eye. Um, so we have seen them use violence against Palestinians unprovoked many many times before. Uh, part of the thought process, like in Gaza, they 
so Hezbollah translates to uh, the, to God's party. Uh, one of the jokes we have back in Gaza is uh, it's a, it's the devil's party, <laughs> so they call them Hezbollah Shaitan, and it's because we they've see, they've already experienced. We've had family members in I mean, in Lebanon. We've had families who've went through those massacres. We've we've seen those things already happen, and the individuals that are still running these groups are the same people. So from there, it's we just we can't trust even what they say at this point. Just moving on forward based on the history. Yeah, I wasn't even aware of that. Any responses to that? Um, so I mean, I don't. Go ahead. I don't have nearly. I don't have nearly as much direct knowledge as Suhail does, but I can just echo, and I I think it's. You know, it's it's not a dirty secret. It's something that's well known by Palestinians and Arabs that despite the popular support by a lot of Arab and Muslims for the Palestinian people and our cause, the actors and the nations involved, uh, to put it euphemistically, don't always have our best interests at heart. Um, and uh, and there there is a lot of history there. And, you know, that speaks when people talk about it being, you know, quote unquote, a complicated conflict, <clears throat> that that's some of the can of worms you start to open up. I mean, yeah, to what extent can we trust any of these armed resistance groups against Israel then? Because all of you are making such good points about about that. Because, you know, on, on the one end, we have to support Palestinian liberation on all on all fronts. But at the same time, we don't want to blindly uh, support some group that is, as you alluded to, Suhail, already committed atrocities against the Palestinians. I mean, a part of that, too, is so when it comes to just individuals, just like any people, there's a lot of people that are in political parties that they don't even understand the political party that they're in or that they're supporting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those members that I met that were previously a part of those groups that left they go, yeah, no, we left, we left Hezbollah, we left these groups that after joining them, because once we started seeing what they were actually doing, it wasn't what we were there for. And then, so it, it, when it comes to individuals, again, there is always good and bad everywhere. So I, I'm sure there's people in that group that are fighting for Palestine. But mm -hmm. part of the issue too is then you look at the leaders that have their own agendas, that have their own things that they're looking for, for their own gains. And it can go back even down to the colonization when the French came after during the Ottoman Empire, they started splitting up Lebanon into parts and pieces. And then they had some families get paid off to convert to, to multiple religions, not just one, but like she had the Shab family in Mount Lebanon. It's a great example because they were a Sunni family until the French came. After the French came, the family is Catholic, Maronite, uh, Shia, Sunni, and they're, they're just mixed. And it, it, that way they could rule different parts of the area with the French at that time. That was to keep in power. And so it, the, the religion thing isn't as much of an issue as the politics behind that. And then we have Iran supporting Hezbollah directly. And we know that we've known that for years now. And their agenda has always been, because I haven't met an Iranian even from my mom's side or from my Persian side that hasn't gone, hey, Arabs, no, Arabs occupied us. Or, uh, Arabs are the ones who went and ruined our areas and whatnot. So I'm like, when I see the government saying otherwise, it just makes it. We have the understanding that they just want to have some type of control like they have in Lebanon, 
like they have in Syria, like they have on the eastern part of Saudi Arabia, like they have part, and partially in Kuwait at this point too. They're just trying to continue edging on into these areas in their own way. Wow. Mana, you wanted to respond? Yeah, I just, I want to bring up a point, uh, particularly as a Palestinian American in terms of what even just saying Hezbollah means and uh, how it translates in terms of being a resident here and who gets classified as Hezbollah and not. I have a, uh, basically a cousin in the family who was raised in a refugee camp in Lebanon. When he immigrated to the States, he discovered the feds had flagged him as a member of Hezbollah. The extent of his quote unquote Hezbollah activities was um, running electricity lines from main power lines into the camp. And that's why he was classified as Hezbollah. When I, myself, born in Birmingham, Alabama, raised by a Palestinian father and a white Methodist mom from Ohio, when I volunteered with Food Not Bombs in Richmond, Virginia, we found out years later when the National Food Not Bombs foiled themselves uh, that our Richmond chapter was suspected of being associated with Hezbollah because of my activity with them. I mean, that just confirms what I heard the other day, which is the COINTELPRO era never ended. Yeah, yeah. If anything, it's expanded. Yeah. yeah. It's just gotten sneakier, right? Yeah. The- there's a whole other thing about surveillance capitalism, but that's another episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking scary stuff. Yeah, um, yeah I'd, first of all, just thank you for bringing up that point. And also just thank you again for being here to talk about all these things, because I know that can also be really scary right now. So just I really appreciate your bravery and thank you. Um, the other point that I wanted to bring up with Hezbollah too is Israel wants, uh, there was a Dutch memo that came up. So I want to see what you guys have to say about this. Uh, Israel wants to obliterate Gaza to deter Iran, uh, in Hezbollah says a Dutch memo. And it says, according to a media report in the Netherlands, Israeli forces are intentionally using disproportionate force in Iran or in the war on Hamas to deter them. So what do we think about that? I, from my end, I say I just the nickname that we have for them already. As far as popular support goes, we we don't have any popular support in Gaza for them. <laughs> um, there is small offshoots of like small militant groups here and there that are, uh, but those ones are far and few in between. Most of them that coordinate just because of the the refugee camps in Lebanon, how those are set up. Um, so they're just kind of parts of that that are still there. Any other responses? Okay, slightly different topic. U.S. and British imperialism were discussed in the first Israeli-Palestinian panel, but I'm curious about your perspectives on this. Do you see the ongoing genocide in Gaza and the U.S.'s support of it bringing about an ending to U.S. and Western hegemony? And if so, how quickly? Suhail, you want to go first? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I was like, let me give somebody else an opportunity for a moment. <laughs> Hi, Sophie, by the way. But, hey, I can hear you now. I couldn't hear you before, but I fixed it. <laughs> Sorry. 
So a part of it too is so the British the it was the British that essentially occupied Palestine that really fragmented us mm-hmm. um, before their arrival. Palestine was always self-ruled, self-governed under the Ottoman Empire, under the Persian Empire, under the Islamic empires. I mean, it wasn't for the it, the Roman Empire was the only one that had direct control. But even after the Caesar passed away, that's when we regained back our own autonomy and we continued onwards. Um, we've always we've we've always tried to set a, an example for the region in our own way. Try to do the right thing. That's try to do what's good for humanity. When it came to even, I guess, recent history of the genocides that happened in Armenia and happened during the Holocaust, we were still we were taking in Jewish refugees. My great grandfather, Sheikh Zafar Shawa, he was very well known and hated by the British and the Israeli government moving forward. But he he was taking in Jewish refugees when the British wouldn't allow them into Palestine because we saw what those people were going through. We could empathize and understand that, and we continued onwards from that. Um, so no, we I, I'd say that if with Palestine breaking off from colonialism and actually absolving itself of it, it would set an example for the rest of the region to continue onwards with that, to go and re-indigenize themselves, essentially. Mana, what do you think? Um, honestly, I have always seen this issue as one of colonialism and imperialism um even as a teenager even though those weren't those words and terms weren't applied at that point i didn't hey mano we can't hear you or i can't hear you at least can you all hear me yeah i can hear yeah okay um so uh you know i i come to, uh, you know, other people have come to understand it in that respect as well. I don't see this as, you know, uh, I don't see this as an issue between Zionists and Palestinians or Jews and Muslims. I see this as a colonial project that has pitted brothers and sisters, siblings against one another. I, it's hard for me to see it validly from any other way. And to me, that becomes more apparent to more people every day. Right. And it's for the West's benefit. Camille, what do you think? Um, I think um, pretty much what they were saying, you know, um, what you said is for the West's benefit and is an issue of colonization, like we've seen repeatedly throughout, you know, the global South you know um and it's still you know most of um the global south lands are still occupied like in chile i'm going to talk about chile because that's where i'm from you know um the mapuche which is you know the the native um the indigenous people there they have a super small territory and um you know they they're still governed very much so by you know the the Chilean government and um, they still consider themselves as being occupied even though, you know, um, the Spaniards, you know, came a long time ago, over 500 years ago, but um, there's still that issue of, you know, them not being sovereign and um, 
not having like their rights to um, their lands as they should, you know, and um, I feel like, you know, like we need land back everywhere. So not just, you know, in Chile and other places, but like if you think of like Australia, New Zealand or or any other place or like even like America, what do you think of like white countries like, you know, like that's what most people think of, but we don't think who were like the real like natives there. A lot of the times that's being lost. And I feel like, you know, the more time passes, you know, the more um, that feeling kind of of, oh yeah, this is not your land anymore, kind of settles in. And like at the end, like the native feels the foreigner in their own home, right? So, yeah, it's just, it's bad. Yeah, it's really gross. I like the point that you brought up there with Chile. Um, and the other thing too that I just don't think is talked about nearly enough is just the, the generational trauma that exists with colonialism. You know, it's easy for people to say, oh, this was hundreds of years ago, but it's it still impacts people in every single aspect of their lives to this day. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can see it all over, you know, um, over here, the indigenous people um, here in the United States, um, most of them of the reservations don't have access to clean water, they don't have access to sanitation, um, they were just able to vote, you know, like they were citizens, you know, they just, um, I'm not sure what year it was, but it was way after the Americans got the voting right that they, they got to vote. When? I'm sorry. 1967, if I remember right. Native Americans' right to vote, yeah. Right. So, 1920 and right to vote in 67. I think I think black women was like in the late 50s. I'm not sure on the dates, but yeah, that sounds about right. So it's just, you know, kind of crazy and how like I myself, like, you know, like I was brought up to know almost nothing about the indigenous people and like most people in Chile are the same like they don't teach you they teach you English and French in school but they don't teach you like the native language so it's really sad like they make us forget all that it's kind of like a society construct is formed to be that way so that you'll detach from it and almost like they almost make it so you can like almost feel ashamed of that I hear similar stories from my friends from Mexico you were going to say something, Suhail? Yeah, I was going to add something to that, too, because, like, we see this happening in the West Bank, too, with, mm -hmm. uh, like, the Palestinian school system is null and void. You don't send your kids to the Palestinian school system for a lot of the parts, and there a lot of those schools are not accessible these days because of all the all the walls built around it. But um, the PLOs started implementing uh, their own agendas into the school books to kind of support what they're doing, and we start seeing these things reappear. So people who have access still send their kids now to the to the catholic schools to the like the local catholic schools local christian schools local the local school systems to try to make sure that they're not indoctrinated into a system that they're not even they, they wouldn't want to be a part of they understood basically i mean even here in the united states i mean here in arizona 
I was just at the care banquet last night. I lost count of how many students have called because they're getting accused of hate speech for saying free Palestine. Yeah, I mean, the the state, like I mentioned Cop City earlier, but I think the state is going to start doing the same thing against uh, pro-Palestinian protesters that they've done against anti-Cop City protesters. They're going to start, you know, labeling them as domestic terrorists, and they're going to start um, levying serious charges against them to try to ruin their lives and disincentivize people from stand- for standing up for Palestine. Oh, and not even domestic terrorists. If anyone associated with it has anything other than a solid... Um, American citizenship or residency, what they'll do is detain you and without being a pest charges, they'll harass you through our immigration system, which already doesn't work. And they'll just grind it to a complete halt. Of the 14,000 Arab Americans and Muslims who were detained after 9-11, and an untold number of them just decided to give up on their immigration process and either go home or, or immigrate elsewhere. Because they couldn't, they they couldn't take the harassment and the discrimination, and the American dream had been totally ruined for them. Wow, it's horrible. Yeah, I think we can see them using any type of, you know, anything they can get a hold of that to, that will help their cause um, and deter people from certain from supporting certain movements, you know. Um, I remember my first time going to uh, Atlanta to support a Cop City event, a Stop Cop City event. Um, I parked, I purposely parked in a parking spot that you had to pay because I was like, mm, you know, like I don't wanna park in the street cause that's fishy. So I parked in a parking spot that you had to pay. I paid for it. And when we came back from marching, all of our cars were booted and we all paid for it so those are just tactics that they use they will use anything that they can to get you so yeah tortuguita was shot 50 something times um and i think after the first major protest where they destroyed a bunch of construction equipment they ended up doing a mass arrest of protesters that were like more than a mile away from that location just to retaliate against them. So yeah, the the state I will always do that. this bullshit. When when APSA, the Arizona Arizona Palestine Solidarity Alliance, back in like 2018, first started doing uh, um, research on what was then called deadly exchange, which is the police and IDF training exchanges. And Phoenix, Arizona has one with the IDF. When we first started doing research, um, within a few weeks, it was clear that we were too small and too vulnerable to proceed. The last meeting we had about it, three of us had been stopped that week at least once by police officers and harassed. and I'm, we, we, we salvaged the campaign. We got bigger and it's up and running still. We still have the petition to stop the exchange. We've picked up a few hundred more signatures in the last month on it and are finally halfway to our goal. But this is something that should have ended, you know, five, six, seven years ago by my count. Heather, you've been kind of quiet. Do you have any thoughts on all this? 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, back to the original question about uh, the United States uh, hegemony uh, and imper imperialism in general. You know, I think one thing that is way beyond the scope of this panel, but to consider is that the ability for the U.S. and, you know, the U.K., the West in general to to continue these, you know, oppressions um, as the country itself destabilizes. Because, you know, the U.S. is very, very unstable. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people think that we're in, like, a cold civil war or we're on our way to a hot civil war. You know, if Donald Trump is elected, who knows what's going to happen. Um, if Biden is reelected, who knows what will happen. And I think that it is, especially as climate continues to escalate, it's going to become increasingly more difficult for the West to go on these campaigns um, around the world when we can't even, I mean, we have major, major problems here. Um, so, yeah, that's my thought on it. <laughs> a bigger yeah. a bigger picture a bigger picture and longer game problem i think uh and and also actually i wanted to say to the point about natives you know i think we it's so important that we look at outcomes and they are so just i mean it's plain as day native americans is one example have huge rates of uh alcoholism diabetes uh look at outcomes for the black and brown community i mean that is colonialism as trauma in in the data right yep. um you can see it plain as day it's it's difficult to argue <laughs> this is all by design you know it's not like it just happened um yeah not too long ago i think just like a few days ago i posted this video that I fucking it broke my heart like um it was just so bad how like most alaskan natives um that lived in tents because they didn't have a home um they went and bulldozed their you know um their their tents and they were left with nothing and you know who is going to survive an alaskan winter without a tent yeah. and they don't they don't have solutions you know they don't they don't i mean um I'm sure a lot of you know how bad shelters are and how a lot of these people um, that, you know, live outside, they they will not go to shelters because the conditions are so bad and the rules are so strict. And um, yeah, and, you know, they were saying how they will even drink um, alcohol like the what is that alcohol that comes in like the the bottles hand like, sanitizer yeah exactly you know um just because it was so cold and that will keep them numb so it's horrible and it's horrible how you see like the cycle repeat you know and throughout um the americas and it's it's really sad yeah that's that's awful i'm really glad that you posted that video um my next question for you guys is what can leftists do to identify credible sources of information, including data and evidence to counter polls that seem skewed and more suited to manufacture a narrative of consent for plans US policymakers have already intended on carrying out with respect to sending more aid and weapons to Israel? 
Yeah, go ahead, Sophie. I was actually going to call on you first, so that's perfect. Oh, nice, nice, awesome. Okay, I have a lot to say about this. Um, I just want to say I listen. I'm sorry I came in late, but I did listen to what everyone was saying, and I think that's what we've all been saying for a very long time. And we all have different backgrounds. We come from different like hist histories as well, and different people. But the at the end of the day, all that we're talking about is greed. This is just about greed, and greedy people will do greedy things. Um, and the same mechanisms that control us in capitalism are the exact same ones in colonialism, and in really any sort of dogmatic fundamentalism. You see, this like they carry out the same plans. This is not. We all are able to talk about it in such depth because this keeps happening. It keeps happening within my lifetime too. You guys have all seen it happen multiple times. And I think we just live in this space within the world. And I've even been seeing, you know, how they're saying this is a generational divide. And it is because of our access of information, how we communicate online and what we get. So, for example, um, it took a longer, lot longer time for me to get on board than it did for my parents who are in like their 50s, 60s. And then my grandparents, I'm still trying to get all the disinformation out of them. Um, they're still, you know, they're not doing well. They're freaking out. Um, people are believing a lot of different kinds of conspiracy theories. So what I've been trying to do is channel different modes of communication. So all these aunties and uncles are like on WhatsApp, right? So if we can spread in, in, like proper information, because there's both misinformation, which is just accidental, that happens. And then there's disinformation. Now with disinformation, that's purposely done. We've all seen it. We all see what like Israel is trying to pull. And I mean, honestly, the stupid AI stuff, like it's so obvious, you can't, the hands aren't working properly. So it's very obvious what's going on when it comes to disinformation. But people who don't know and don't know the history and don't know how to spot it, you know, they're unfortunately left behind. And these are, I mean, just this fact, what is happening currently in the United States and all across the world, is evidence of these systems are not working. We are evolving beyond these systems. Our technology has evolved beyond these systems. So what we really need to do is get everyone on the same page. That means free access to education, free access to healthcare. Just everybody needs to have the same. We need to democratize as well as decolonize our world and ourselves. Um, it's hard work. You know, I have multiple ancestries. I'm both. Uh, been my family's been colonizers and colonized people and you get to see that world you know when you are mixed from this more of a liminal space and you can see like how both parties operate and how they think and everybody's just scared at the end of the day because we're all all our governments are run by lunatics they're all crazy people that just want money it doesn't matter who they are what they wear where they're from all of our leaders just want money and they'll do whatever need, they need to do. I mean, why is war profitable? You know, so we need to really dismantle the system and we can do that in like multiple different ways. And I say boycott. And the best way to boycott is now. It's it's the holiday seasons everywhere. I mean, we uh, I mean, in the Abrahamic tradition, all of our holidays are around the same time. Right. So all of us are celebrating. So let's bring it back to the roots and let's make handmade gifts. Let's buy local. Let's get cultural things as well, because it's very important to preserve our culture and preserve our handicrafts. So support those people. If you have to buy, you know, certain, like if you need medication, for example, if you live 
in a place that has um, that still has one of those local pharmacies with like a local pharmacist, go there. You know, if you live in a food desert, go to like a bodega, you know, do things like that. Just don't go to these big consumers. Don't go to like places like Whole Foods, anything owned by like the conglomerates, basically. Just try to boycott them as much as possible within your lives. And if we all do that collectively around the same time when they want to make money off of us, because they know they, they've tricked us into the system of like constantly buying and constantly consuming. And to speak on that, another thing that we really need to do is all of us have seen images come out of the Democratic Republic of Congo. We know what they are doing uh, to get all of this new tech, even when it comes to things like greenwashing and green tech and all of this. This is just another mechanism to, to put the veil above our eyes when it's really like our green tech in the West is using child labor and enslavement in Africa. And we can't do this anymore. This is unsustainable. It's not sustainable for our earth. It's not sustainable for our people. It's not sustainable for our democracy. Um, so I really, really believe that we need to stop with this, you know, constant buying and buying of everything, particularly tech. And we should we should repair. We should just wait for things to be unfunctional, you know, or and also we need to come after this planned op obsolescence bullshit that like things like Apple are doing. Like, why doesn't an iPhone 1 still work today? It should still work. So, you know, these are the things that we need to really be thinking about when it comes to information, not just what information is, is it, but rather where the information is coming from, how we're also receiving it, and then how do we share it to others? All of these things become very important. So, yeah, I had a lot to say, but if anyone else, you know, wants to add to uh, that, that ramble. Manna and then Camilla. Yeah, I think um, for me, something very hopeful that the popularity of the BDS movement right now shows us in, in, in concrete numbers in terms of how effective we can be and how many people support this is traditionally up until very recently, like four weeks ago, when you boycotted, you really targeted, you had one, two, maybe three targets. You didn't want to be diffused. No one was going to boycott that many things. It's hard enough to get someone to boycott one product from one brand, let alone a whole brand, let alone several. Whereas what we're seeing now is I think part of this generational shift where one, there's a lot of us. I mean, every Arab, every Muslim, definitely every Palestinian, like we want to know every single company because we just, their products, smell, taste, and look like blood to us, and we cannot consume them. It's not, it's beyond a boycott. Like, we just morally, ethically, like, we. it's like being vegan. We just can't put that shit in our bodies or have it on our screens. Um, and more people feel that way. Plus, I, I think part of what explains people's willingness to participate so thoroughly is a generational cognizance of, we don't want a materialistic culture. We don't want to be classified as just consumers. You know, we were already down for local and organic and direct from farm. And, you know, what, what how all, all those, those catchphrases that actually do mean something and translate into acts. And I think BDS um, complements that thinking in a way that a lot of people were already growing to understand. Really great point. Camille, go ahead. Yeah. Um, 
but that means yeah there's been a while where we we've seen um like certain brand brands you know already um that we're wary of and that we try not to use um and they're repetitive right they're like kind of over like the same brands over and over again so i think we're starting to like get this in our head that certain things we can no longer support you know um or buy or put you know or money behind um so definitely um but another thing that i wanted to say about um what we see and whether you know it's factual information just always question mainstream media you know don't don't watch it if you especially in the west yes yes but you wouldn't believe like the the stuff that you know i heard back home because i was just there for almost a month and a half are just are just copies of what they hear in the mainstream yeah yeah so like if you can avoid mainstream western media please do so if you watch it don't take it as fact you know like take it into account and then question it then go do some research research further than you have to you know and make your own conclusions and listen to voices listen to the people more than you listen to the the big conglomerates you know um and that i mean that's what i've been doing for a while i even like for years now i've tried to stop watching any type of um movie or show that comes um out of the western um you know hemisphere because like really if you start paying close attention everything is trying to brainwash you like you see you know the movies that oh the american is always saving the world and who is you know like the bad guy you know like who is the terrorist and so exactly and and they also take you to a place of consumerism right like they're always pushing that and whether you notice it or not you know it's always there so for me um, for years now i've been just trying to avoid like pretty much anything that is big that americans watch like i'm like no no thanks i'm good based (laughs) (laughs) that's fucking great i love that sophie do you have a response uh yeah no i have a lot um one is i have just i gave up on marvel after endgame i'm having a hard time now keeping up with like the back and forth and they're constantly like they're just pushing all of this stuff that we know is gonna be marketable because it's very nostalgic we all want to watch it this is all stuff we grew up with um and now it's just owned by like a massive conglomerate disney and like now we're forced to watch it. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't matter how good it is. I can't let myself be a part of this machine in that way, right? Um, but one thing I do want to mention um, is the mechanisms with which all of these oppress- oppressive systems work through, and that's the law. Um, you know, the Holocaust, that was legal. All of these things are legal. So we really need to think about how we legislate ourselves and what do we do? Like, what is the law of the land? How do, you know, so when I think of law, I think of ethics. Now, if you compare ethics to morality, morality is something we all have as human beings. We all know when we see these images, we know right and wrong. We know who is the oppressor and who's the oppressed. 
But um, and then it's all just, you know, filtered through with this is not indoctrination. And that's where ethics comes into play, where ethics are just agreed upon rules by which you deem your society should function. So that's why you have different like cultures, right? They're all kind of the, the same, but depending on where you come from and how they evolved, um, it's just going to be a little different, right? So when it comes to all of this stuff, I really do believe that we need to um, think about morality more when it comes to law, not just ethics. We need to think of what's human and what all human beings have in common. And that's just, you know, the basic, like, do unto others what you do to yourself kind of thing and just the golden rule, all of that. The basic thing and all, like, things in all tenets of religion and what everybody's just trying to tell us is just be nicer to each other, be nicer to the earth. You know, just figure your own shit out and take care of each other, right? That's what we have to do. And then another thing that perpetuates the system is trauma and um, complex trauma. And we've seen it in, in Haza. Trauma never ends. There's no post-traumatic stress disorder. There's just trauma. And that is what it means to live in this colonial machine is you're just constantly traumatized. We're alienated from our own families. We're alienated from our cultures, our languages, our land even. So we really need to think about, um, you know, everything in a more of an intersectional way. We have to see where things merge and things like the law and morality and love. I mean, they all mean something here. So that's, that's my, my rant. <laughs> Actually, if nobody has any responses to that, I kind of want to end it there just because that was so beautiful. And I was so excited to have you on this panel because I knew that you were going to bring like philosophical um, insights like that. So thank you so much for that, Sophie. Um, Let's go ahead and do plugs. Suhail, I'll start with you first. Where can people find you and what do you have going on in your life? Uh, if people can find me on Instagram and what I'm doing in my life these days is drawing and just trying to just make it through what's going on back home. Thank you for being here. Uh, Kamiya. Hey, okay. So I'm gonna just correct Camila. <laughs> okay. okay. You can sorry, say it. Sorry about that. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just, I just have to do this because, you know, that's what... I don't want to say your name wrong, so I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So it's Camila, just like Camila Camilo. You Camila. Know. Camila. Yeah. Did I say it right? Yeah, perfect. You got it. Yay. Thank you. Um, no, just like my Instagram, I have two accounts because I think one is gonna be taken away and now I don't know which one is my main account because I use them both but um yeah he's an alter ego um and then what I got going on just my girls and just trying to do this trying to get information out as much as I can and you know go to events to rallies whenever I can and help out my community when I can so um that that is what's happening in my life I um homeschool my eldest and take care of my little one full-time so there's a lot <laughs> I'm constantly like ah, like crazy going <laughs> to multiple directions all the time thank you for being here sharing your perspectives especially thank with you your incredibly me. busy schedule <laughs> Sophie yeah I'm just doing I'm just trying to cope uh, that's that's what I'm doing. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, but I, I literally had to change my my username. I had to delete all of my followers recently. 
So I'm just trying to like rebuild it. I forget the name, but I'm sure you guys can like repost it. Um, it's some version of uh, like philosophy or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, um, you know, it's nice in these like really, really difficult times to meet such like-minded people and for us all to collaborate together and share information and try to get just try to get on the same page so we can make the world a, a more livable place, a better place, you know? So uh, as difficult as the subject matter was, I'm really happy we're all here today. Thank you. And I love your signs, by the way. <laughs> Last but not least, Watermelon Brigades, also known as Mana. Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I run the Watermelon Brigades Instagram account and you can follow me there. It has things like memes and poems and, and stuff. Um, and uh, I also work with the Arizona Palestine Solidarity Alliance, which is a nonprofit run by Pallies for Palestinians and our allies and accomplices across Arizona. Uh, you can find us online at az2palestine. Uh, and, uh, if you want to follow events and campaigns in Arizona, that's, that's the place to go. We try to post everything Palestine related, whether we're involved or just aware. Definitely check out her page and listen to her podcast. It's badass and you'll learn a lot. Thank you, Mana. Oh, thanks so much. As always, the 805 Uncensored is on all the major podcasting platforms, uh, also social media as well. We're on Instagram at 805 Uncensored Pod, TikTok at the same name. If you have any comments, questions, or you just kind of want to ask us a question, go ahead and send us an email, 805uncensored at gmail.com. Thank you so much again, everyone. Have a great night, morning, evening, wherever you're listening in the world. Stay safe out there. Liberate Palestine. Bye. There once was a land called Palestine where Christians, Muslims, and Jews lived fine in the 1800s. It was ruled by the Ottoman Empire. Meanwhile, a bearded guy founded Zionists for Jews to aspire, a land that becomes their home and safe only for their kind. Then there was World War One that ended when the Allies won, and England was like, hey, this beautiful land is totally mine. Till the name was Palestine, even though it was colonized, and a promise for a Zionist state was made by a man that had no right. Then more and more Jews arrived seeking refuge, and that's all right until their plan to steal the land was no longer to hide. The year was 1948 when Israel bullied its way to a state. Thousands of Palestinians fled their homes to survive. No right for return, no right for a home, no right to fight for the land that they owned. Israel expanded more and more into an appetite. Where is your humanity? Where is your respect for dignity? Called conflict that's insanity. It's time to change your mind. One day Palestine will be free so be on the right side of history you're not anti-semitic if you stand against war crimes don't be brainwashed by the news now you can see for yourself the truth learn about the story story of palestine